This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong and Dave Schrader talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Hey, pretty. Welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron, and with me, as always, is Dave. Dave, how's it going? Yeah, you know, I'm... Uh, you still feeling the wounds of last week? I really am. And what yeah. I love is that how confused everyone is. <laughs> like, yes. Is, is Scarlet really gone? <laughs> is Barnabas ever gone? Are they really gone if they guest host like every month or something like that? Um, and so they'll never know. You know, we're, we we may take add them, remove them occasionally from the uh, our bio or whatever our description is, and mm-hmm. uh, that's okay. But no, I'm fine. I like the confusion. That's good. <laughs> I think you, uh, I, you, I, I got the impression that you were con- confused whether or not you were still whether or not you were still on the show. Yeah, I didn't know if this was like I needed to make an exit too, for, <laughs> just to just because people that seems to be the thing what happens. People just like okay, I'm done. So I, I had the whole George Costanza. All right, I'm leaving on a high note. I'm out of here. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, who was it was a. Uh, <laughs> was it Kristen Stewart who's uh, on Twitter? She had a great comment. She's just like, I don't even know what's going on, but, uh, um, but I'm, I'm, what'd you say? It was so funny. I don't know what's happening, but I love it or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. Just continue to be confused because we're confused and in, in so many ways. So, you know, absolutely. And uh, speaking of confused, uh, we have a guest who is undoubtedly, confused because i know he know he does not listen to any podcast that he appears no. on either no nope. uh, probably not even his own no i don't even listen to my own that's right no that's right so well, yeah you, you're basically uh brandon smith who's joining us today um or schmitty uh there's an sch in there by the mm-hmm. way um it's it's very very german um <laughs> i don't know why yeah they made all that <laughs> silence in texas though so <laughs> That's oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. that's right. Yeah, he he's a we have we have like a real Texan who's joining us with a beard and everything. Mm. I mean, I've got my Texas Longhorn and cowboy figurines back here. I've got my plaid on. Yes, it is like twelve degrees and snowing here in Ohio right now, though. So that's the opposite of anything remotely uh, yeah. Texan. But. That's true. Yeah, you've got can- you've got Canada weather going on over there, don't you? How dare you? How dare you insult <laughs> me by bringing Canada into this? Yeah. Well, you're so you're living much much closer to uh, my home and native land than uh, than I am these days. That's true. So that's true. Yeah. Um, Brandon, so you, yeah, you keep moving farther away from Texas. So what what's going on with there? Like, wh- where's next after this? That's what we want to know. Uh, my wife told me that we're not moving any further north, so we will not be going. Uh, she said no further north than Nashville, and uh, here we are. So we'll see how it goes. But this is Nineveh Niagara Falls in two years. No, that's this is Nineveh for her, man. She's uh, she's waiting to be spit back up on the shores of Texas <laughs> by a whale. So, yeah, but but that's true. But here's the deal: you get to stay in the United States. Uh, sorry, Aaron. Um, and yeah, which is good. And your kids get to actually like sled. Yeah, you know, get to enjoy some snow. Like we haven't seen snow in years here, right, Aaron? Um, I mean, certainly Real what snow. we've had doesn't count as snow. Right, yeah. right. That's Light dusting is not snow. Yeah, I agree. No, we had like, uh, you know, a third of my tires were uh, covered overnight and my car was completely covered this morning. That's the kind of snow we're getting. So I love it. I love it. Well, I know we are kind of uh, uh, slowly introducing. I know because you're uh, a prof- now you have to ex- your exact title. You're at Cedar Cedarville University. You're titled mm-hmm. professor of theology. What it-, uh, it is assistant professor because I am okay. not uh, I'm a I'm a junior faculty member. So you never just say professor because that insults the people who are actual prof- full professors. OK, uh, I'm assistant professor of theology and New Testament. Okay, so you're just, assistant to the regional manager. Exactly, uh, yeah. I, was, yeah. I just set you, I threw that softball to you and you just okay. swung at it. So there you go. That's yeah, right. assistant to the professor. Assistant so to who professor. has put your uh, your Calvin commentaries in Jello? Uh, I uh, have not had anybody do that yet. We did have a guy here who was kind of the prankster uh, who's no longer here. So there's, it's a little quieter around here without all the pranking that once happened. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoy the idea of pranking, but I don't like to be pranked. 
So mm-hmm. I am not taking up the man- mantle of the prankster. So. All right. <laughs> who do you think? Who do you think should take that up? What What makes a good prank prankster? A good office prankster. I think you have to be fully committed to being pranked back and being willing to push the limits to, uh, you know, whatever they are. Uh, and that's where I just don't, I just don't, uh, I have no interest in being retaliated against. So I like the idea of, of making fun of and trolling other people, but I don't like the idea of coming to my office and something uh, having happened to me. Uh, so I think you just got to be committed to uh, whatever the ramifications are, which I'm not. Got it. So. Got it. Which, which makes, uh, makes Twitter so much better for you. It's true. I am the office troll, which fits in with Twitter. Uh, so I, I am the office troll, which is fine uh, because you can't like damage one of my books or, uh, you know, do something to my car or something. That's what I don't want to happen. <laughs> well, if you do, then then it's that's a different level of dedication. Right. So it's true. And I believe that there are people uh, up here who might take it that far. So I'm not playing any games. <laughs> I, um, the one thing I I. I I, I when we started working together, Smitty, I know that you, you you did a quick break from Twitter for a while, which uh, was really hard. You you put that wrath directly on me for a while and the trolling. And uh, yeah. <laughs> which, I quit I quit for three years, and Dave had to uh, it, had to live under about two of those. So I know I did. I know it was terrible, and I was so glad you're back in. Um, <laughs> you haven't stopped trolling me, but also uh, in the office, which was highly enjoyable since I was. Oh, it's not outsider. Just, you know, it just, you loved kind of, I, I deserved every bit of uh, the yeah, trolling. Yeah. yeah, I know. No, you, um, you, um, you were, uh, Dave was the classic, like everybody loves Dave more than just about anybody else. And that for me plays out in consistently trolling and making fun of him. So I don't, I don't, uh, I've, I've had colleagues up here. I told Krista when I got here, the first summer I was here, all I did was just troll my colleagues. And then whoever responded the right way became my friends. Yeah. And uh, the others just got annoyed by me. So that's basically how yeah. I how I make friend groups. Yeah, so. it, no, no, that's it. Because what it is is you you have that ability to see right through me. Like, okay, so people like Dave, but he's really full of it, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna exploit that and uh, and and make sure he knows how low he really is. And uh, <laughs> as, long, as long as I can roll with it, I'm fine. So yeah, I, I had to, I had to counterbalance every time somebody complimented you at a meeting. I had to make sure to keep, I was just keeping you humble. That's all. Yeah, mm. no, exactly. Mm. Wounds so, of a wounds of a friend and all that. Yeah. I mean, with that fl- those flowing locks of hair that he's got, you know, somebody has got to keep him under <laughs> control. So <laughs> I, I, I've transferred it to your beard basically. <laughs> Actually, that gray strip in the middle of my beard would go perfect right down the, your landing strip in the middle of my beard <laughs> to the perfect cover over. See, no one would dare to like bring up my baldness, and then Smitty would just go right for him. Like, hey, Dave, could you like lean another? Just lean. Another, I'm getting blind by what when he. By the, I was trying to. Like, I was trying to help you. I said, Dave, just just take it down to a guard. Just take it down. You just refuse to do it. No, it's not. I, I keep threatening uh, to the girls. They're the ones who would be really mad at me if I did it. And even I was talking with Matt. I was dropping Malin off at school today. She's middle school. And I said, Malin, like, how would you feel be, you know, having that dad, you know, who's got kind of like this pseudo shaved head? I'm not talking about like bicking it all the way down and doing like the nice, uh, you know, bronze look. But I, I said, just, you know, something, you know, nice, nice and tight. Right. And she's like, no, I, we, we, we've all talked about this again and again, and you're not going to do it. I said, okay, well, let me do a follow-up question to that. I said, how do you feel about, you know, a dad that has like a pseudo comb over going on right now? Like, how do you, how do you reconcile that to like your friends and stuff? Like, oh, that's my dad. The one with the, I think it's a comb over. I'm not sure. He just kind of like whiffs whatever's left to the side. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's happening. So see, no, you uh... You, yeah, you, you didn't you, you didn't commit to the comb over, which I appreciate. You just committed to the bald spots here in the middle, and I'm just moving everything in opposite directions from it. So you never really went with a comb over. You just kind of you just go kind of a middle part, except that the part is just really big. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you really wanted to try the comb over, here's what you do: you grow the beard out, and you <clears throat> actually comb it up. Oh yeah, can you do well, that? I mean, he can beard. grow, yeah. Dave can grow a mean beard. Yeah, he can. It's true. I could do he's that. Not, I he's not Dave, like this guy. Yeah, this was like 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. So my usual barber was not there. And so I had this other guy. And so I'm sitting there in the chair and he starts like circling me, you know, like snake and mongoose. You know, he's like looking, he's not saying anything. 
And then finally, like, uh, uh, what's his name? Key and Peel. I forget. Uh, this guy who just, you know, does the whole no, no, yeah. no. He, that's exactly what he says. No, no, no. And I'm like, what? what? What's wrong? He's like, I see what you're doing. If you keep going this route, it's going to be a come over. We're going to have to <laughs> fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, uh, and this guy it was so funny because like he just had the audacity I'm, i appreciate the confidence i'm like i i, I know man help <laughs> what, what do you suggest <laughs> like i don't know i don't know what to do with this <laughs> there was no unhelpable unhelpable <laughs> no yeah he just said that's it and so and then my longtime barber the guy who's gone that day he uh he is moving to uh I've, i mean it's been 13 14 years i've gone to him He's moving to Idaho back home, essentially. And I told him, I said, what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> I said, I can't go to someone new now. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what you do. And so my time to I move told- to Idaho, Dave. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, they become your own barber. I think that's just, just take care of it. That's what you need to do. Yep. I did that early on the pandemic, man. It was not pretty. <laughs> it, was, it was not good. I mean, this is this is where it goes back to. I know you're. I know. I know the girls may not be happy about it, but it may be time. Yeah. New, okay. New new uh, new barber, new Dave. Be the all man right, of the house, so, Dave. Be the man right, of the house. So, uh, thank you, thank you. So, uh, Aaron, this sounds like a poll on Twitter right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think we know how the voting's going to go, but we might as well get confirmation. That'll help me. As oh, absolutely, I go it's going to go full neckbeard and and uh, and swoop up. Oh gosh, wow. <laughs> I, sadly, I could probably do that. Give me a little time. So, yeah. well, uh, my okay. thankfully, my kids are like, no, don't even try to grow facial hair because yeah. uh, my my glorious teen beard. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about facial hair and Aaron, you don't have any, and, uh, I'm, I'm keeping, (laughs) I'm keeping just the stubble going on for a while, but, but Brandon has a beautiful beard and a lot of that has to do with his awesomeness, but also from what he teaches. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, theologians we should be reading. Right. Uh, but not always the obvious ones, I Mm -hmm. think. So, so Smitty, this is, this is, I think, our, our readers, like, don't assume everyone's in uh, any sort of theology class, seminary. Some certainly are, but talk to Dave the idiot, the guy that they entrusted to teach church history at his church. <laughs> so talk <laughs> so to that you. That was a good move. On, <laughs> yeah. uh, on I know, that part. was a good move by my church. So, Dave, how much how much World War II ended up in <laughs> your church history class? You can only talk about World War II submarines for so long. That's really it. So, well, you just a, use, um, use Bonhoeffer as your way in. You just talk about Bonhoeffer. <laughs> that gets you into just talking about World War II the whole time. That, that's true. That's true right there. No, but it was really fun. And Smitty, I, I mean, you were helpful giving me some books to, to uh, you know, prepare and so on. But really, it was fun because all you have to do, you know, in a one-on-one class, be a chapter ahead. You know, it was all about us yep. learning together, which was fun. Yep. But, uh, um, but, um, but no, but it but also was, for me, it was eye-opening because of all these great church uh, forefathers in this sense, I just had no idea about, and I, I didn't grow up in the church. So to me, I'm, I'm still learning, but I love history. And I certainly have discovered more, um, theologians to read over time. But I think, you know, when, when people start talking about that, they think of reformation, they think of Luther, they think of Calvin. Um, we haven't even gotten to like Zwingli or something like that. It's, you know, it's, it's really just kind of getting to some of the more just basic common ones, um but even you know today they'll say spurgeon they'll say bonhoeffer just you said like yeah. c.s like, lewis c.s lewis right they but they don't really go that much further back uh than reformation so i i and i know this is an area i know you're real passionate about so uh, we just love to hear man just uh, it, how would you kind of guide a uh, any of our listeners on what to read and also us i mean i've I, I, well, I, I discovered a variety you'll talk about and I would love to read more, but I would also say, boy, what should we read? You know, if you, yeah. if you recommend books in that area too. So, so I'll kind of yeah. teed off there for you. Yeah. You know, I, I've got been able to teach, uh, theology and stuff like that in the church for a while. Um, and so got, you know, some practice doing this in a local church kind of context. And then even here at Cedarville, uh, I mean, we obviously have Bible majors, but we've got 4,500 students, uh, all of which uh, are required to have a Bible minor. So all of them take a 15-hour sequence, which is a Bible and the Gospel, which is like a hermeneutics and spiritual disciplines class. They take Old Testament, New Testament, and then theology one and two. So I'm most of the time teaching theology, church history, that kind of stuff to 
nursing majors, pharmacy majors, uh, you know, engineering majors, education majors. And so, you know, I'm kind of, even though I'm in the academy and obviously they have exams and they have, uh, you know, I always tell them this isn't Sunday school, this is uh, college. And so we're doing things, you know, more rigorously. At the end of the day, I'm still saying, how do I reach these uh, basically non-pastors, non-vocational uh, ministers, you know, to understand these things. And so one of the things I always try to tell them is that um, church history really is just a long uh, history of the development of theology. And so most of what we sort of default to theologically, like the incarnation or the Trinity or something like that, are things that have been uh, talked about and well-worn for 2000 years. And we sort of uh, pretend like we, uh, they just are, they just kind of exist. But if you're to read, you know, some of the uh, church fathers, uh, for example, which obviously is, is um, kind of what you're alluding to is where my passion is mostly, uh, you find that they've already basically answered all the questions that you have. And so uh, one of the things I try to do with students is tell them that uh, church history, reading church history is, is sort of like uh, Hebrews 11, the sort of, um, you know, the great cloud of witnesses. I always say, you know, church history, when you're doing theology, trying to understand how to read the Bible, actually the great cloud of witnesses uh, in the real world, or not in the real world, but, you know, outside of the, the sort of biblical context uh, are the church fathers and are the theologians who have come before us. So uh, that's a, a long-winded answer to say, typically what I do um, is recommend something like uh, Shelley has a book called uh, Church History in Plain Language. Uh, it's a very good, very clear, like super well-written book. Mm -hmm. uh, we use it with a lot of our students in church history here. And that gives you a good scope of sort of how church history has played out over the years. Um, I think that's probably the most popular and most accessible one. Uh, so I usually say start there. And then I say, you know, move into maybe a handful of theologians that you want to read. Mm -hmm. And I think most people assume that the church fathers are going to be difficult to read. And in one sense, they are like, you know, Athanasius uh, on the incarnation. Uh, I've given that to people in the church. I have that. Uh, I've, every one of my students reads Athanasius on the incarnation. Uh, and the new translation of it uh, with St. Vladimir's Press has a little intro from C.S. Lewis where he talks about the importance of Athanasius. Uh, so if you uh, if you want to get your C.S. Lewis fix, you can still get it while reading the uh, that translation. Um, <laughs> really, what he's doing is is he does speak differently than you know uh, a Beth Moore Bible study or uh, you know Tim Keller sermon or something like that. But he's saying the same stuff, just in different ways and sometimes more profound and creative ways because he's talking in a different context. So, mm -hmm. you know, with Athanasius, I always joke that anything that you say about uh, the incarnation or Christmas is basically just a footnote to what Athanasius has already written. Mm -hmm. So typically, I'll say if you read Shelley's plain uh, Church History in Plain Language and you read Athanasius on the Incarnation, you get a good feel for uh, a lot of the basics of what we believe as a church. And uh, you can start to learn from and have that almost, uh, I tell my students, it's theological accountability. You know, you, if, you, if you think yeah. you've come up with something that 2000 years of church history uh, disagrees with, you might wanna reconsider uh, whether or not your new idea is a good idea, so. Yeah. Right, and there's something right there that you, you said that is really important. And it should be obvious because we talk about it a lot, but uh, just the fact, that we're talking about 2,000 years of history. Yeah. Um, way too often, and uh, I, I notice this a lot in, you know, in pop, particularly in popular Christian writing, is that we tend to default to really only the last 500 years and change. Yep. And, and the, church, so, the church basically started with Martin Luther. That's what happened. Absolutely. Nothing it's, happened before then. It's kind of like how history started in 1776, right? Yep. Nothing exactly happened right. before then, too. No, nothing important, anyway. Mm. <laughs> Smitty, I thought it was uh, what was it was seventeen thirty six was when Texas uh, formed as a republic, mm, right? mm. or I'm sorry, eighteen thirty six. Listen, right? here's the, here's the thing. You you mentioned earlier about going to uh, not having to go to Canada. I've already had to get a green card to live in America after leaving <laughs> Texas. So you know, um, but yeah, so you know, that's been good... through my struggle. Yeah, that's right. Now, that's a good point, though, Aaron, I think. And that's something, you know, a lot of my students, they're not aware of they're not fully aware of that. But but most of them have probably heard of Martin Luther or John Calvin. If they're, if they're thinking, like, who are the people in church history they know and they go back before C.S. Lewis, <laughs> they get uh, uh, Luther, Calvin, uh, maybe John Wesley, if they've come from the right you know, from a different tradition, uh, potentially Spurgeon. And that's basically it. And so I think most of my students even default to thinking that that's kind of where church history starts. And a lot, there's a lot of reasons for that that we can get into if you want to, but there's a lot of reasons why I think that happens. But generally speaking, what I tell them is that even somebody like Martin Luther, um, he was quoting the church fathers all the time. 
you know, he, he sort of, uh, he was actually um, drawing on them in a lot of what he did. And in fact, part of his argument against the Catholic Church was that the church had broken away from uh, the, the church fathers, that there were things they were doing that were not consistent with uh, both the Bible and what the church had been teaching. And so uh, Augustine, I guess, gets, I guess Augustine is probably the one church father that most people know. Um, a lot of, uh, I always joke that the Reformed Theobros, uh, they love Augustine. He's the only church father they love because that's the one that Luther and Calvin quote the most. Yeah. But so don't they, worry, they don't actually read him. They just read their quotes of him. Yes, they just, they just, they basically assume that Augustine is a reformer uh, and they could not be more wrong in a lot of different ways, <laughs> theologically speaking. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it's fascinating, because, you know, if you just search Twitter for, you know, quotes, you're right, like, that's it. That, and that's how I would have probably discovered someone yeah. like Augustine, too. Um, and it's funny, following you, I mean, I certainly exposed a lot more, you know, and, and, and even I think I had heard you talk about Athanasius even prior to me teaching that class. But, uh, but again, I think it was fun, because and, and, and here's one thing I, I even in a brief time, like there were some people who had taken church history classes, they certainly knew a lot, but you're just average Christian out there. Why is it we as a church, forget about universities and so on, why do we as a church fail to want to really acknowledge that? I mean, is it like our professors not fully equipped to do it? Is it just not a priority because we're digging in so, so uh, too far into the past, the point where we've already benefited of it. So it's in, it's distilled in the way Tim Keller would present it. I mean, like, yeah. why is that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably three or four different streams of reasons why it happens. Um, mm -hmm. Particularly with the church fathers, uh, there's two things that go on with the church fathers, I think typically. One is uh, the assumption basically that they're all Catholics. So basically until Luther, you know, uh, reformed the Catholic Church, we shouldn't read anything before that because all Catholics were like the Catholics that Luther was arguing against, uh, which is uh, fundamentally not true, uh, according to Luther, actually. Uh, and so I think that's one thing. I think you've got a stream of uh, basically everything before Luther is Catholic. Uh, so basically just don't read it. You don't need to read it. Um, I think that's uh, that's a big part of it in a lot of evangelical circles. I think there is a less sort of um, nefarious, I think there's a nefarious version of that. That's like, we hate Catholics and we're just not reading them, not understanding what they're talking about. I think there's a more, a less nefarious version of it, which is basically like, I just am not going to understand what they're saying. They're from a different world. They just speak mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Tim Keller, for example, speaks, uh, he, he does, I mean, he's just phenomenal at uh, bring, bringing deep theological truths uh, to, you know, sort of everyday people. And that's great. I mean, I'm not complaining about that either. I think, uh, so I think that happens. People assume that they're not going to understand it, which I think, uh, I think my students uh, are a prime example of how often my students will say, I really was scared to read this because I didn't think I would understand it. And then after I read it, yeah, I had some questions. Yeah, it's different than what I expected. But, um, you know, and I, and I walk through it with them. So it helps to have a guide with you. But I think there's some of that. And I think that Probably the other one is that for a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors, particularly, uh, you know, the church is going to be reading whatever the pastors tell them to read, whatever the pastors are quoting, right? When I when I start became a Christian uh, in my teens, late teens, and then when I started feeling like, oh, I want to go into ministry, I feel like God's called me to this. Uh, my pastors were quoting uh, Piper, Packer, um, John Wesley, uh, in a Methodist church I was at, uh, sometimes Spurgeon, Luther, Calvin. And so I just, that's just what I, that's what I thought too. I thought, well, these are the guys you're supposed to read and just had never been exposed. And a lot of churches, a lot of pastors go to seminary and they're, I think, inundated with a lot of modern uh, theology, which is basically that everything before the Reformation is allegory and it's not, they don't really care about scripture. Uh, obviously there's the Catholic bent. Uh, sometimes it's just a hermeneutical thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like, hey, we finally have figured out how to read the Bible. So why do we need to listen to all these people who do it differently? And so I think there's different, I think there's, you know, lay, lay people who just don't understand it. And then I think there's people who are more well-informed who are intentionally uh, avoiding mm -hmm. it for various reasons that are, I think, um, not helpful yeah. or realistic. Yeah. 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 I, I, I certainly, uh, you know, would have fallen into that camp of um, just, you know, honestly, I just, I'm overwhelmed as it is. Right. And yeah. so you got to keep it simple and, uh, um, and so a, a Tim Keller is probably uh, not, not an entryway because even Tim Keller is, is tremendously deep. There are probably some others that would start before then. Yeah. And I realized like there's just a lot of people in that camp. But at the same time, you want to be challenged. And I, and, 
and you want to grow to understand more where we came from. And like, I just have a deep love of history. So that was my entryway of just saying, yeah, no, I'm just fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know so much of these things. No one bothered me to bother to teach me. And I certainly wasn't, this was post-college. So I wasn't, I didn't have an, uh, that type of outlet, but I love reading. And that, that's why I was asked to teach that class. Cause like, you love history, you love reading, you love teaching. It's a great combination. <laughs> and even yeah, though I say, I, I've never, yeah. I was gonna say, I think that I think that busyness thing you bring up too for people um, is a big part of it. And I think some of that is, you know, I'll tell my students, a lot of people read whatever book or listen to whatever sermon kind of makes them feel better, not necessarily in a bad way, but they're just like, hey, I want something practical that helps me mm -hmm. get through the week. Uh, pastors typically are just preaching sermons to try to get their people through the week. I mean, I've been there like you spend half of your week just trying to keep people's marriages together. Uh, and then you're mm -hmm. also supposed to do this deep theological sermon, you know. Um, but what I try to yeah. uh, impress on my students is that you can never get to application and practical uh, understanding of how to live the Christian life unless you have good doctrine. Uh, mm -hmm. The Jesus that the Jesus that you follow, it matters who that Jesus is and what he says about himself. And so oftentimes I'll tell them, you know, reading theology and church history is an end in and of itself. Whether or not you feel any emotional, more connection to God, whatever, like that's not always the goal. Sometimes the knowledge actually is the goal. So we sometimes say like, well, you don't want to just, it can't just be knowledge. Well, of course, but you also have to have the knowledge. So I always use the example with my wife. If I were to come in, I always tell them, you know, they all know who my wife is. Uh, I usually do like an introduction to the beginning of class. And a lot of them just see her around, around you know, Cedarville is not very big. Uh, we have uh, 4,000 people and 4,500 students. So they can't, you know, the, 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 uh, the town doubles when students show up. So they know, they know her. And uh, I'll always say, if I were to come in here and say, uh, man, I love my wife, Marcy. She is the most beautiful six foot one, long black haired. You know, just start describing her in a way that has, she's not any of those things, right? It's not her name. That's not what she looks mm -hmm. like. And I say, man, but I love her so much. You'd be like, are you sure that you love her? Cause you don't know basic facts about her. Like you don't seem to know anything mm -hmm. about her. Mm -hmm. Or if I were to say, man, I love my wife. I'm like, oh really? Like, so uh, what is uh, her favorite food or movie? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, well, what is, uh, what, what is, uh, what's her parents name? I don't know. Uh, well, when's the last time you talked? That's ah, been a couple of years. Are you sure you love your wife? You know, so I always tell them like the knowledge in and of itself is part of how you grow deeper in your relationship with God. And I think a lot of people shy away from hard, a difficult theology because they think it's impractical. When in reality, that's stretching your, your mind, which scripture tells you to do, uh, is part of growing uh, in loving God better because you're knowing him better. And it's not just about your individual, how you feel that week, but about actually getting to know the God who made you. So I'm going to get on a sermon there, but no, I love no, that. I'm here for it, dude. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So, um, a, a, after you've given that, uh, uh, great introduction to help kind of set things up for students, where do you kind of lead them in from there? Like what's the structure in introducing church fathers and, uh, and what to read? Yeah. So the way that I do it in my theology classes is that their primary textbook is a book called learning theology with the church fathers by Christopher Hall. Excellent, excellent book. Um, really well written, really clear. Um, and he just goes through the major theological debates of the first uh, six, 700 years of the church, particularly the first 500. And so what I'll do with students is I'll say, okay, read that, read the chapter this week. I'll be doing lectures on the Trinity, for example. So I'll do Monday, Wednesday, I'll do lectures. Then Friday, I'll have them read the, the chapter that week. And that Friday, we do a class discussion. And so we walk through it together. I make sure that they're understanding what's going on. But those kind of introductions, uh, particularly Hall's book, is really good of giving a, a more detailed introduction to these major debates. And what the students, I think, typically find, obviously, they need my help at some level. Um, but I don't think they need my help that much. They might need my help to get further down the road than they would have. But I think generally when they come to class, I will start out and be like, OK, like I'm, I'm throwing it to them. Okay, what's the main point? What are some of the main ideas? What does this person argue? What does that person argue? And they can follow it pretty well. And Hall does a good job in his book, for example, of showing why it matters. So a, an example would be uh, the kind of probably the greatest debate in church history is Athanasius and Arius about whether or not Jesus is God. That's kind of like your, I mean, I tell them that is the yeah. watershed debate in church history. And um, so they read a chapter on that and you've got, and Hall says, here's what Arius believes. Here's what Athanasius believes. Here's why Athanasius thinks Arius is wrong. And what they come away with is not just the theological debate. Mm -hmm. What they come away with is Athanasius tells Arius, if Jesus is not God, he's not worthy of our worship. Uh, if Jesus is not God, he doesn't have the power to save us because only God can save. And so they see in there that these theological debates 
uh, even in church history, are really about worship and about reading the Bible well. They're not just sort of a bunch of eggheads, you know, in a room, uh, five people in a room at the Evangelical Theological Society talking about stuff nobody cares about. That these are actual pastors who are who are arguing against people. And I always tell them, uh, you know, these guys aren't typically looking for a fight. And if your pastor, if somebody came into your church, if your youth pastor started teaching that Jesus was a created being or that Jesus didn't really die on the cross for your sins, uh, you would rightly expect your pastor to fire that guy or at least reprimand him strongly. <laughs> Probably, uh, I would say, fire the guy. And so I tell them this is this is all that's happening in church history is it's it's good pastors trying to protect the truth of Scripture. Yeah. And so I think when I introduce it to them that way, they're able to see, OK, yeah, this isn't just some esoteric. Uh, you know, debate that nobody cares about. These are fundamental to what we believe. And I usually tell them, you're going to agree with Athanasius because if you've been in any a church that preaches the Bible at all, you're going to know this stuff sort of intuitively, but you might not know how to explain it or understand where it came from. Yeah. And I think that's that's important for us to do, right, is to understand where it comes from. It's like reading the yeah. New Testament, not understanding the Old Testament. Well, yeah. you can understand the New Testament fine without the Old Testament, but you won't actually understand the New Testament unless you actually understand the Old Testament because they're so interrelated. So. Mm -hmm. No, that's really good. Uh, by the way, yeah, I, I mean, whenever you're ready to write like a Hamilton-like musical with, <laughs> with the debate between oh, Arius and Ath Arius and Athanasius, seriously, I think of the cabinet battle, oh, and that would be uh, great. I'm like, you, no, seriously, I mean, but it's almost like when I was uh, when I when I was when I was comparing them and and their debate. Um, it was fun because I'm like, listen, guys, you have to look like Athanasius, like the early days of Michael Jordan when, you know, people, you know, and I said, Athanasius is absolutely Michael Jordan. And, you know, yep. you've got these other guys who are competing for attention and this and that, but the greatest is going to show himself and <laughs> why he's right uh, in this battle. And uh, it's, you know, in other words, dethroning the Pistons. Sorry for our yeah. Pistons fans, you know, but no, really, I, was... I mean, I was trying to make it fun so they could get a feel for like, these are two big guys at the time. There's a big debate and, yeah. um, and we benefit from uh, the outcome of it essentially. And, uh, yeah. but, but what I'm fascinated with again is why we have to continue studying this is that, we're still dealing with a lot of these issues. Yep. You know, I mean, that's like, and they may come in different forms, but uh, yeah. uh, that's why, like any new debate that happens, you know, in society, whatever, you're like, yeah, this happened, you know, 1600 yeah. years ago, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's the turn I tend to make in class is I will eventually get to, oh, by the way, Jehovah's Witnesses are just modern day Aryans. They teach mm -hmm. the same thing. So when a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, and says, uh, you know, John one doesn't say that Jesus is God, it says that Jesus mm -hmm. is a God. Well, that's not, uh, I said, hey, I, I always joke, I, I checked the Greek, that's not what it says. Uh, but also, this is the big <laughs> argument, Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I tell them, and, and Mormons, same way, you know, Mormons are tri or modern day tritheists, and worse, actually, but uh, mm -hmm. at, at least that. And so I tend to tell them, actually, what, what you'll realize is that there are, there's not really many new heresies. They're really just, uh, uh, just recycling old heresies. So I tell them, like, if you read Athanasius and Arius, you are actually, if you understand that debate, you are better equipped to talk to the Jehovah's Witness who's inevitably going to knock on your door or leave a note in your mailbox. You know, it's just, I mean, they, they're, they're everywhere. I had a area, I had a, um, I was going to say an Arian, which is true, but I had a Jehovah's Witness, uh, uh, same thing, come up to me at the gas station in Murfreesboro when I lived in Tennessee and hand me a tract. You know, it's just that they're, so I tell them like these, these guys are out there and they are purporting to be Christians. And I, you know, my students, sometimes I think they ruffle a little bit at first when I'll say like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are not Christians. And because they kind of want to, you know, they don't want to say that people aren't Christians, except for Catholics. Everybody's happy saying Catholics aren't Christians, but totally, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, get real worked up about that sometimes. But by the end of the semester, by four or five weeks in, they're like, oh yeah, that's not in the Bible. Like that is a completely different, that's, that's not the same Jesus. And that comes back to the fundamental point, right? Is part of the reason why you read church history why you read these things is that you see that uh, you can claim to follow Jesus all day and be talking about a totally different Jesus than what the Bible teaches. And these things just get recycled over and over again. And so yeah. I think once I, once you make that connection there, at least with my students and people in the church, I think that's where it clicks is like, Oh, okay. This isn't an ancient debate uh, that, you know, is sort of in the past. It's already been settled. No, actually a lot of these things are debates that are still happening and arguments that are still being made by people who are going to knock on your door. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's that's one of those things that, that I, I find helpful with with reading uh, reading history in general, but church history in particular, is is just that to that point, everything seems to be on about a fifty year cycle. 
Yeah. Give or take. <laughs> so the debates that we're having today were, were being had in the 70s. Um, and a lot of them had to do, like right now, we're kind of in seeker, you know, in the seeker church growth debate 2.0. Thanks to uh, thanks to the pandemic, and now people like really out just overtly embracing um, the silly pragmatism of of full on, um, you know, digital church being an actual church, yeah, uh, type of things, and um, but not thinking about what it actually is a church. Um, you have you know you go back um, ten years ago when everyone was. Um, you know, you know, had had their druthers raised about um, you know Rob Bell and his very his cohorts various heresies, yeah. Um, about you know the nature of scripture, the reality of hell, etc., etc., etc. And it's like they were having those in the '60s and in the the 1910s and mm-hmm. you know and yeah. the 1860s and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like these these things just keep happening. Yeah. Um. Well, like, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of stuff that Rob Bell was doing was just classic Gnosticism, which was basically like stamped out in like 250 AD. It's just yeah, like, it's the original heresy. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it, he, and, and then he reaches back and, you know, a lot of these guys, one of the things that they do, and I think this is, this works for them, they're wrong, but it works for them is they will say, well, Christians have always taught this. So, so he would do the, Rob Bell, for example, would do this whole thing about universalism and say, well, yeah. Origen taught this, that, the, you know, he's yeah. considered one of the greatest theologians in church history. Uh, and uh, come to find out, Origen actually probably doesn't teach that if you read Origen. What you find is, is that a lot of people said Origen taught that later, uh, that some of which had a, an axe to grind uh, with Origen. Yeah. Uh, and you find out that actually, like, so these guys will appeal to church history and say, well, there, people have always taught this. Or this has always been, uh, you know, don't you don't have to go by the mainstream orthodoxy, bro. Like, there's always been us outliers out here who, like, really understand scripture. And mm-hmm. then they'll quote church fathers, and you're like, nope. Now, there's just modern debates about the Trinity and stuff um, about, well, this is some, this is what Nicaea taught. And it's like, no, that is not what the Council of Nicaea taught, you know. But people um, who don't know better can be told anything, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had a student, uh, and you'll appreciate this, Dave, but I had a student. Yes. Um, I brought up, talking about the Trinity, Thomas Jefferson, how Thomas Jefferson said that the Trinity was, um, he said the Trinity obscures the real Jesus, the guy who cut all the spiritual, uh, all of the spiritual miracle, uh, miraculous stuff out of the Bible about Jesus is saying that the Trinity is the thing that obscures the true Jesus, the guy who takes half of Jesus's ministry out of the Bible. And you had a student, a student uh, who got really upset about that because he has been told, look, Thomas Jefferson was basically a proto evangelical. He was a Christian, like we are founded by Christians. And, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson did not do that. That is not true. And that's a historical version of it. Right. But it's saying mm-hmm. like, if you actually understand history, you know, that this is true about Thomas Jefferson, but if you don't, you can read right. some book by David Barton, who says that Je- Thomas Jefferson is, you know, the true and better evangelical or something. And if you don't know any better, you just believe it. And a lot of these false teachers do this with theology. They say, well, this is yeah. just what has always been taught. And you're like, no, actually that's not true at yeah. all. So. Yeah. And, and man, not to dig in too much in this, but I'd say we're actually in more of a, there's a deeper issue of people not reading long form books at all right now, yeah. just reading bullet points on, instead of reading, reading Barton's Jefferson's lies or whatever his book was on that, yeah. um, they're, they're opting out of that and just taking someone else's bullet points of what they want them to believe. And yeah, that's well, when scarier you, when you right there. Down, yeah. When you get down to the Twitter version of David Barton's argument, like you are now too removed from from reality yeah. you know right yeah and, and and what's you know what's fascinating is here we are dealing with all these sorry aaron i'm just trying to prepare you for citizenship here no but it's fine in, i mean in case, in case you have a nose it's a bit of a mess here right now well <laughs> so. i mean remember we used to be homeschoolers and so we um and so a lot of unfortunately a lot of the resources that are out there for homeschoolers yeah. that are that are history related particularly in mm-hmm. um you know, particularly ones aimed toward Christians, use mm-hmm. a lot of use a lot of um, Barton's work or works popular or popularized by him, um, which means that that homeschoolers are being taught lies. Yeah, mm-hmm. when it comes to history. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Jefferson is only a proto-evangelical if you if you are thinking about evangelicals as people who who rip scripture out of context and mm-hmm. make make up their own religion yeah. which 
on the broad spectrum of people in America, yes, there yeah. are some who do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's as close to I'm getting fired as I'm going to get today. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's but it, the the point is like it's it's happening in a lot of areas of academia's many certainly you can see that but also just in common issues of of cuz because there's one thing if there's one thing Americans love is studying themselves. The problem is we aren't studying ourselves well enough. So Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, really, well, we that's do like it. to like, navel gaze though. And that's almost the same thing. I know, I know. But uh, so, I mean, I argue, I'm like, okay, if the church is to be the church, we need to have that same argument saying we need to dig deep in terms of, <laughs> of, uh, of kind of, of really to make sure we understand where we come from ultimately. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> a, please good... pause that. <laughs> I I walked right into it. I walked right into you just, it. You kept like it was one of those things where you just weren't going to recover. So I figured I'd just go ahead and push you over the top. <laughs> okay, here's a real I, question. Do I, right do when I, I said it, I looked in. at you, Smitty, and I thought, oh no. <laughs> it's not on video, so there's nothing. That, so you know. <laughs> no, no, it's not on video. Have you guys and have fun uh, removing this portion? All right. Um, <laughs> Where was I going? In- <laughs> so- power, power. All right. So here's a, here's we, a really important question. Because Smitty's got to go too, right? Yeah, so, we yeah. we got to wrap this up, but I got a couple of important questions left. So going back to um, Dave's desire for a Hamilton esque musical mm-hmm. about um, Athanasius and Arius, where mm-hmm. does the apro- apocryphal tale of uh, Saint Nicholas fall into that with some heretic punching? Uh, that is, yeah, uh, definitely not real history. Uh, that does not stop me, however, from sharing the meme every Christmas where it's the picture of uh, his icon and it says, I'm here to uh, give out presents and punch heretics and I just ran out of presents. I just, I use it every year. I always say, look, I know it's not real, but it's such a good meme. So it yes. is. It's really good. It's really yeah. good. So by I the think way, we got to um, put it in there. By the way, if you, if you Google uh, Council of Nicaea Rap Battle by Michael Bird, my, my PhD supervisor has written a Nicaea rap battle uh, in the vein of um, in the vein of Hamilton. So what you're saying so, is it's already been done. It has already been done. And it's pretty Fantastic. good. So Council of Nicaea rap battle by my doctor Vater. You will love it. Nice. Yes. All right. Fantastic. Oh, we, hey, real, real quick, Smitty. So when uh, are you done with the PhD work? No, I'm done. You're done. That's awesome. Look at That's this. Great. Here it is, right here, bound Let me up. See it. Yes. Official. Doctor, so we 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 can call you uh, doctor now. At this point, I'm not yes. going to call you doctor. You no, absolutely, we have to yeah, do I this. demand it. I demand no. it. No, I told we, my students that when you that when you spend six years to be called a doctor and you can't actually help anybody, the only thing you really have is just being called doctor. So I tell them they have to call me doctor because that's the only benefit I get from doing a PhD. That's true. Well, you job. know, I appreciate the fact that you actually went and earned it, and according to uh traditions here in america you are allowed to be called doctor um you don't have an honorary doctorate where i have a real doctorate and i have a phd not a demon so that's my other uh, and also not a demon i'm not controlling the demons so um can i uh i I, you know i know that uh, you guys are the hosts of this podcast but i was promised that we would talk about uh batman and we have not done so yet so i just want to make sure that that is on the calendar that is actually uh, my that was my next question. Okay, so I'm, I'm sitting here with my Batman bobblehead waiting for the Batman conversation. That's so. right. So so uh, <laughs> as you would not know, since you don't listen to podcasts, including your own, um, <laughs> the uh, recently we have started a, uh, a read along um, event here okay. that Dave is is trying a graphic novel for the first time. Which one? Uh, he's trying Undiscovered Country by uh, Scott Snyder and Charles Soule. And right. so it's very much for grownups. Um, and it's uh, <laughs> and it's fantastic. It is uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi. Is so that we, is, is that uh, one of the Star Trek ones? Nope. That's something different. Star no, Trek. That was a like movie a, in 1991. Though. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, you said sci-fi and Undiscovered Country, and then I thought maybe it was Star Trek. So. No, not Star Trek. No, I would not uh, subject Dave to um, media tie-in comic books. Well, I thought that you would be better than that, given that Star Wars is obviously better than Star Trek. So I just want to make sure that we were we're all on the same page there. I'm also not going to subject him to Star Wars comics either. So, Uh, (laughs) but yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I hey, so far uh, I was asked by Deborah Wampler or Wampler. Wampler. I was Wampler. Thank you, thank you, Deborah. Um, uh, how it was so far? I'm only like ten pages into it, mm -hmm. so I just start right when I got it. I started reading through it, and uh, hey, it's amusing. But I'm serious. I'm really stupid. I get to pay some pages, and I'm like, do I read down? Do I read to the side? Do I go all the <laughs> way across? I'm serious. Sometimes I don't think it's as clear as it should be. I, 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 I just confess that I know I'm stupid. I, I, let's, it's, I mean, I accept that, yeah. but it is a little confusing sometimes, not every page, but sometimes. So I'm no, and, and that's fair. I mean, it really yeah. is. Um, it really is like trying to read in a, in a different language. Yeah. Um, so, because it, it, it has, although it has similar rules to reading a prose book, it does. It has its own. It has its own unique language that goes with it, and so it just takes time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. So, but because we know that Dave is going to fall in love with this at the at the end of having read Undiscovered Country, mm -hmm. um, I would love, and you and I both love Batman. Indeed. Tell him what he's missing out on if he doesn't read something really good that is Batman related. Do you do you like Batman at all, Dave? I don't think we've ever adjudicated. No, I do. This. I do. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I just you're not like anti-Batman or bored by Batman or anything <laughs> like that. Okay. No. So uh, here's my here's my recommendation uh, to anybody who has not read a Batman graphic novel. Uh, if you liked The Dark Knight, which basically everybody did, I, I've never met a person who didn't like The Dark Knight movie. Like the second in the in the new trilogy, I think everybody acknowledges that. Uh, mm -hmm. If you liked that, then just read. Uh, Batman the Long Halloween which is uh, it the, the whole first half of the Dark Knight movie is basically that graphic novel so that way you're not jumping into some random you know graphic novel story about Batman because there's so many different versions of Batman there's old Batman and young Batman and there's all kinds of different storylines and different comics and different graphic novels but the Long Halloween uh, is considered by most people to be the best if not one of the best and you get all the familiar characters so he is uh, he is dating uh, Catwoman in it, which he ends up doing at the end of the third uh, of the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, this is where he and Harvey Dent and uh, Gordon get together to stop uh, Falcone, the um, the mob boss. And so you get all of that kind of early in, and then you get introduced to, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of weirdo um, Batman villains, like the really, I think that what do they call them in there? The freaks is that what he calls them, I think. It's like Riddler, yeah, Poison like Ivy, some of them. Uh, and it's like basically takes place on like Valentine's Day and then April Fool's Day and then St. Patrick's Day and then Christmas. And they just like build the whole thing around these holidays. Yeah. Every anyway, holiday in the month. Yeah. Or, but it's actually it's really good. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, really good. My favorite part of that graphic novel. Uh, uh, now I'm just talking to Aaron because you haven't read it, Dave. But one of my favorite is that that Harvey Dent, who becomes Two-Face, right? Harvey Dent and Gordon and Batman get together and like, OK, we're, we're going to finally stop this mob boss. And so like we've got to do it without breaking any laws. Because they're all, you know, they're all good, upstanding men, right? And so we got to do this without breaking any laws. And so they have this whole plan. And then one of the plans of them, quote unquote, not breaking the law is that uh, Bruce Wayne is on the board of the Gotham Bank and basically like screws this guy over and gets the chairman of the board at the bank so that he can wield power in the bank to find out where all the, the mob's money is going. I'm like, I feel, okay, maybe that's not illegal per se, but I feel like you just like, you know, completely abused your power and your authority and screwed over some guy just so you can get this information. So that classic mm -hmm. Batman where he's basically like, I'm not going to kill anybody or break any laws. And then literally all he does is break laws and um, accidentally kill people. kill people. Yeah. Now he'll, he'll, he'll uh, let somebody fall off a cliff and be like, well, I didn't kill him. And if he had kept his balance, this wouldn't have happened. So yeah. <laughs> so that right. one, that's, that's right. good it's really his fault. Yeah, so that's a good entree. Long Halloween is a good entree. I don't know what you think, Aaron. I mean, I think my four. Yeah. I think that the top four basically are uh, Long Halloween, uh, Killing Joke, Year One, and Dark Knight Returns are probably like the the, the big four, and those mm -hmm. all have familiar characters, Joker and stuff like that that people would know. Yeah, that's a solid list. I mean, um, definitely Long Halloween is up there. Um, its sequel is its sequel is good too, but not quite as good. Um, yeah. Uh, Dark Victory, I think it's called. Um, it's been ages since I read that, and I haven't haven't bought a new copy of it yet. So, but uh, Long Halloween's up there um, for longer burn kind of stuff. Um, you know, it would be too long for someone who is 
really kind of brand new, but um, actually the recent uh, Tom King run on Batman that is kind of still going with the Batman Catwoman series. Yeah. That one is so good. I've not read any of that, so. It's really good. It, I mean, it's long. It's, you know, 85 issues, 85 um, single issues, mm-hmm. multiple annuals, um, and then a 12-issue maxi series to wrap it up kind of thing. Well, and that's um, the great thing about the Batman graphic novels, Dave, is that they're just, uh, I mean, they read like graphic novels. So like you are saying, you've got to sort of mm-hmm. work through them. But like yeah. Long Halloween is something like 12 or 16 issues of a comic, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, a little series. And they just basically yeah. bound them into a book in one place. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to stump for you reading a Batman graphic novel. That was the main point. Yeah. Long Halloween is the way, the way to go, I think. I think that's the easiest entree. Yeah, that or, that or Hush, um, which isn't as good as... Um as long halloween but same writer um, yeah you got catwoman very and accessible. And all the popular villains and stuff yeah yeah so okay. so yeah um, there we go so we did it do you feel like you got your your batman out yeah i mean the two things i love talking about more than anything else uh three things i love talking about more than anything else is uh superhero stuff in star wars i just put those together into full nerd culture uh sports and church fathers so we knocked out two out of the three there we go. Well, you did mention some sports stuff earlier, so it yeah. Well, counts. well, Dave and I, Dave and I can't talk about baseball because um, the the greatest heartbreak in the history of sport of of my sporting life is the Rangers losing to the Cardinals in the World Series. So we just we keep that. We, well, we try to just, maintain our friendship. You just acknowledged it. You usually uh, pretend it never happened. So well, you he's the further is, along than certain other people who lost things recently. Well, the problem is that Dave uh, has found the GIF for. Um, for the missed catch that would have ended the World Series, and so he just uh, sends that to me every once in a while. So you know, um, MLB and like cut four. You know, when in the off season, when not as much is going on, they always post the stupid things like, "Hey, which baseball moment gives you the chills?" Like, I think I've been blocked from sharing that that GIF slash GIF, and uh, uh, because like it's, <laughs> I think I've overused it. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's painful. It's I know. But I'm over it now, though. I mean, baseball is just keeps sabotaging itself. I don't even care about baseball anymore. So, <laughs> that's right. And the Rangers just traded away Elvis Andrews, which was the last player left from the World Series roster. So I know, I know. So it's not well, even my Rangers anymore. There you go. And oh. since I don't care about baseball at all, um, you know, or sports for yeah. that matter, uh, this is probably a good place for us to wrap this up. Because yeah, eh? yeah, that's Stop right. Talking eh? about that sports ball, eh? No, oh, no. I'm no. talking about that. No. What, about, what about us getting out of hockey on ice? You know, I'm only in it blades. for the fighting. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, I, you know, I, you got to shirt a guy and throw him in a snowbank. That's true. I think I think my I think my uh, my Canadian just gets mixed with some version of Midwest and Boston. I think it just all kind yeah, of yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> you know, if you if you if you do that, you're you're pretty close. So yep. you're doing okay. All right, Brandon. This was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks guys. For, yeah. yeah. Um, good to chat with you as always. And uh, Dave, thanks for hanging out. This was fun. I know. We keep going on. That's it. So. All right. That's right. So um, while Dave uh, resumes uh, resumes crying at his o- in his office um, over the events of the last week, do let us know what you think he should do. Should he go? Uh, should he go down to, you know, to basically nothing for hair? Should he clean that up? Or should he? Or should he go all in on the comb over? There's only one answer, so I'll, I'll, I'm just going to let you know which, which I'm voting for uh, for you taking it down. So right, there will there be one go. vote in that direction. I will, I, I will present the results to my family, and I will describe <laughs> the reaction on the next episode. So fantastic, <laughs> excellent. All right, guys. Uh, so thanks for hanging out, and you all know what to do: ratings, reviews, all around. Um, five stars are really the only acceptable ones, and uh, we'll talk to you later. This is an area code podcast.